Welcome to BIV Today. I'm Tyler Orton. And look, with many buildings and offices kind of looking like ghost towns during the pandemic, you might wonder about the state of safety inside, especially here in British Columbia. Now, Technical Safety BC, it's that independent organization overseeing the installation and operation of technical systems and equipment in the province. It has a new report out this week week detailing what the past year has been like in terms of safety. Joining us today is Catherine Room. She is the Technical Safety BC's President and Lead Executive Officer. Catherine, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Okay, so 2020, it's been a strange year, but has it been a safe year? It has been a safe year, and we have the stats to show that actually we have Um, We had really great eyes on safety throughout the year. I think in general, everybody who deals in technical safety just brought a heightened awareness just because we were all, of course, completely concerned about our own health and safety. So yeah, generally the the culture around safety was very strong and certainly the state of safety report uh, shows that in terms of the stats. Well, it was very fascinating because you look at some of the numbers that you guys were able to find, and uh, I, I believe I'm just going to pull it up right now, but it, set, it found that there was like a 3.5% decrease in injuries in 2020 compared to 2019, uh, a 9.5% decrease in the number of incidents reported. What, what, what do you make of this? Like you kind of alluded to this and that maybe people have to be even more diligent during the pandemic, but w- was this kind of an ongoing trend based on what you guys have been pursuing or was just this kind of like one of those things that's just going to happen and uh, we, we've got the pandemic going on, we have to adjust on the fly, whatever way, whatever means we can. You know, I think it was a bit of both, you know, for sure there was a lot of scale that happened in 2020. Um, building continues to be huge, right? There's a ton of construction going on all across the province. So we saw these huge volumes and I think people adjusted their behavior as well. But we also saw certain sectors really get hammered because of the pandemic, certainly in amusement devices and in ski lifts, both areas where we are the regulator. And because they actually were unable to even deliver their services to the public, then we would see a a fall off in anything that went on technically with them. So it kind of evened out, but overall, it's a culture of safety that we're uh, supporting here. And uh, one of the things that I would really like to talk to you about is just where we're going with using AI to assist us in our assessments around safety, because I think that's a really good news story that's come out of the pandemic and the use of technology. You'll always have my ear if you want to talk <laughs> about that, because I, I know, like, I think we've discussed this in previous years, but you guys have always been very forward thinking with technology and innovation, you know, developing software, you know, for cutting these decision support systems to kind of predict, you know, hazards. Um, but tell me about like this pursuit and what you guys have been discovering over the last few years and, and what it means going forward into the future. Yeah, for sure. So we have this view around how do you have eyes on safety when there's hundreds of thousands of different pieces of technical equipment and obviously millions of people who interact with those every day in the province, whether that's an escalator or a ski lift, as I mentioned, or electrical or gas or boilers. And about 10 years ago, we had this uh, board chair who kept saying to me, uh, and I'm going to tell you a bit of this story of how this uh, happened, you know, where, where is your stats? What are you doing around data analytics? And of course, he was in the financial services industry. And, and that's where there was really great analytics. And we hired this statistician. 
And at the time we were using an expert system. So it was basically professional judgment about where do you go to find the stuff that is hazardous? And she looked at it and she goes, yeah, I think we can make this smarter. And so she introduced machine learning and took that algorithm that was just an expert system and built into it using software that's available, uh, an AI in a bunch of different technologies. And the thing that's so amazing about it is it has continued to learn. So now five years after we've implemented that, it's about 200% better. And it's learned because every time it makes a prediction, we then have a person who works for our company go out and test whether that prediction was right. So about 55,000 times a year, someone actually goes and determines whether that predictive algorithm was right or wrong and confirms it in a site visit, either remote visit or physical visit. And the algorithm has learned, learned by 200%. And the thing that also is so interesting in the way that you deploy machine learning in an organization is when you have an ethical context for using it and you give employees a chance to make a decision as to whether they will use it as a personal assistant or not, then they still retain discretion. But their own decision, their own professional judgment, it actually improves in parallel. So you have this really cool um, sort of robotic thinking that is going on associated with a human being who has their own wisdom and experience and lived experience. And both of those two things together have just created this amazing ability for us to increase risk assessment in the province and to make the province safer. It really is kind of a symbiotic relationship. It's, it's not as if it's AI kind of overtaking that human expertise, right? You, you always need to have, in my view, the two together. And we live the integration of technology and humanity. And of course, that's what technical equipment does. It, it is there to improve how we are as human beings, our lives and the economy. And this interface between the two of them I think as as sophisticated organizations look at how those two things connect, there's many ways that we need to bring values into that space. And so we've done a lot of work around what you would call as a robo-ethics assessment. We used a company called Open Robotics Institute. And we're going to redo that because now with the pandemic, there's all kinds of new AI that's introduced. So remote proctoring software for uh, setting examinations, for instance, that uses AI. And we also introduced robotic process automation for connecting some aging computer systems with this huge volume of work coming through. Well, the people who are, who are adjacent to robotic process automation are customer service reps. They did their own view of what's the ethics of having their work uh, made automatic. And they realized, well, we can do other more interesting work. So kind of wrapping all of that into how do you live the values of your organization and where is it best deployed in order to deliver what we're trying to do in terms of safe technical systems everywhere? So, you know, this AI-powered system, it's predicting some of those hazards. Uh, what would be yeah. kind of examples that uh, maybe it's learning from it? And, you know, it goes to a site with, with you know, like a, a human being, an inspector there. What are some of the examples that they would be discovering? So if you can imagine a safety officer, she gets out of the truck and she's got a tool uh, on her iPad and she has a score associated with that site. And maybe it's a large electrical service in a school, for instance. And 
what the AI has said is there's a 35 to 40% probability a high hazard will exist here. And what it's done is it's looked at a bunch of variables such as the experience of the contractor, how long that installation has been there, what the maintenance history has been, whether we've done compliance and enforcement on that site or with that contractor before. There might be 20 to 30 different values that it has looked at and in combination has determined, yes, there's probably a higher probability. It's called a tree fitting algorithm that we use. And um, as she does her assessment and determines that there is maybe a level four, level five hazard, an unsafe condition that's left, perhaps there's no grounding on a very large electrical service, which then allows you to have um, what could be a very dangerous electrical situation with people around it. She's going to confirm associated with that site, what she found. And that's going to enable the AI to learn whether its prediction was accurate, but also for herself to go, yeah, no, I can understand those two factors uh, together has likely meant, you know, yeah, we're going to follow up with this contractor or all of these types of sites have a similar hazard now. So we just take that learning from the single site or a single incident investigation and then multiply it and scale it out to across the province. And I think that's the amazing thing around data being a material asset of the company, you actually are able to bring a wider scale to the way you do risk assessment for the public. So any typical year, from what I understand, uh, the folks over at Technical Safety BC, they're about 40,000 safety assessments. Um, but I understand that last year you guys were able to do 45,000 and this is what I'm very curious about because, you know, we all went into lockdown mode last spring. A lot of people were working from home, weren't going into offices. Uh, your team counts on being able to do a lot of inspections of equipment, ensuring, you know, we're, we're all safe. So, so tell me how you guys were able to adapt. Well, you know, culture is an important thing and every company had to find their way through what was going on with the pandemic. And I think it's a testament really to businesses in BC, just how well people had to innovate um, and how thoughtful people's employees were around serving their customers. And, and we're no different in that. Um, I, I do think it was just a general theme, um, which really is a credit to how much innovation there is in this province. So we had to move to remote assessments. Typically, of course, we would be going to a site um, about um, maybe one in five times. So we go if there's a high hazard, we don't go to everything. Um, in this case, uh, for health and safety reasons, the site may not want anybody else on site except those people doing an installation, so the actual contractors. Um, and in certain circumstances, it made sense that we actually increased our scale so we could see a lot more given just how busy everything was uh, last year and continues into this year, particularly in housing. So with remote assessments, that was a change in the way we did that. We asked our contractors to send us unstructured data in the form of picture evidence, photos or video, or in some cases we do a live video walkthrough of a site. That enabled us to do a lot more assessment. Um, in some instance, it was highly effective. In others, it was frustrating and not super effective, but it's the beginning of a change to including a digital experience in addition to a physical one for us. And what we hope to evolve it to is if you can picture, there's all this discussion out there around a digital twin concept. Well, 
what we would like to be able to do is say, if this passenger ropeway, this ski lift exists physically, it also can exist as a digital model. And the maintenance staff at that ski lift, if they go out there and they take pictures of the brake mechanisms or the haul rope or the big bow wheel, which is what pulls the lift up, and they take pictures based on what we ask to see, and then they drag and drop them up onto a wireframe um, digital twin. And we have that in comparison to the other 120 lifts that are in British Columbia. Imagine what that means to extrapolate all of those examples into our education materials, into the training that we provide for people who do this work. It just becomes a platform for sharing amazing data and extending the learning. So we're on a journey around uh, assisted assessments, um, using AI, using image recognition, and being able to create something in, in conjunction with our clients that makes sense for them. So we are in the business of supporting really strong risk assessment and asset management. And I think this is just the beginning. And as you know, from talking to your different clients for Business in Vancouver, you're going to see this shift around digital, just it's taken off. So I'm excited by that. And we kind of realize we're on the beginning of a journey as well. Well, speaking about that shift in digital, tell me a little bit, because I understand you guys, you know, we're kind of forced in position of changing, you know, design registration, for example. I'm wondering about how, you know, these kinds of changes, maybe talk a little bit about that and talk about whether it's just kind of accelerating, like a lot of plans that maybe you had in store uh, that just now suddenly landed at your feet and you had no choice but to pursue it. Right. So, um, Design registration is one of those things where someone wants to put a large boiler in, uh, a, a, say, a new hospital, or they're installing a new elevator in a, in a bunch of new towers in Burnaby, for example. Um, they have to submit a design to us, an, an engineered design. And in the past, those would come in very large brown manila envelopes, and they'd be received at front counters across the province. And then our engineering team would review and, and uh, take those designs in and document them. That just seems now when we talk about it, so 1983. So now what we're doing is we have an open portal. It's um, an API, which just accepts a digital product. And we know that our clients are designing those new systems already digitally. So it's a digitally native design and they were having to then move it back into analog and paper and give it to us. So that made no sense. So the pandemic just accelerated uh, creating a portal. It's now everybody submits everything online. I think clients are happier with that. Uh, certainly that makes way more sense, way more future focused. And I guess the pressure of the pandemic just brought about a really great change for everybody, which is fantastic. That, that's exactly what we should be doing. So I, I'm sure if you somehow had, you know, a crystal ball, you, you knew what was coming ahead with a pandemic, maybe a, a little bit of trepidation, but now you can kind of look towards the future after you've gone through what must be kind of the biggest hurdles. Um, how are you hopeful about kind of the organization, what you guys are going to be able to accomplish, especially leaning so heavily on technology moving forward? You know, I think for many organizations, we're beginning to see that despite how much digital experience we're creating at the center of everything is human beings. And so to develop any new product, whether that's a new digital portal or whether that's giving 
a client uh, an understanding of how they compare performance-wise to the provincial standard, um, we're going to have to use human-centered design. And that process about pulling people into the middle of what will work best for you is really important to us. We have a stakeholder engagement site on our website where we have multiple projects running at once. And we're encouraging clients and the public to come and look at that and provide their feedback so that what we end up producing at the end works for people. We've talked a lot in the past around, um, as an example, trampoline parks. How do we make those safe for families? And when they take their children to a trampoline park, what makes what makes them feel confident that there is going to be continued safety? The kind of uh, discussion that we want to have is what, what would those requirements be? And how do we do that so that it's not just a whole bunch of rules that are fixed in law, but actually encouraging the behaviors of the people who operate those facilities and the people who attend? So doing a human-centered design philosophy has been something that has been pulled through the organization. I think that's super cool. It, it's the beginnings of being much more product-centered. And, uh, and if regulators can do it, of course, anybody can do it. So we're, we're super excited by that. Another thing that is on top of mind is thinking about operating technology. And by that, I mean, there is this digital interface between all equipment that we use, whether it's our fridge at home or whether it's a, a big piece of equipment that maybe is a, a gas facility at uh, some site like LNG Canada. And the person who operates it or the person who rides in that gondola is interfacing with that equipment through a screen or uh, in some examples starting to become holograms or maybe it'll be the, the future glasses that we wear and we look through and right now it's an iPad. And there are security implications with that. There's the impact on the person using it from a digital experience point of view. We did some amazing research with UBC around what does that mean around the data experience of the individual, whether they're, they're being uh, monitored or whether they're interacting with equipment. So I'm, I'm very hopeful that these questions are being asked for public safety around the way in which we're, we're interacting with technical equipment at the same time as it's improving our lives. So the pandemic has maybe made us focus more strongly there, but it's also given us a language to share. And, and that's maybe the legacy of the pandemic is this this integration of technology and humanity and the understanding that science is incredibly important and it's going to add value to us as human beings. Well, excellent. Uh, Catherine, just fascinating stuff. And I always like finding out how a lot of organizations really had to accelerate or pivot throughout the last you know year plus. And it's just very cool what you guys are doing, especially just with that technology play. So I just, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me, Tyler. Nice to meet you today. That's Catherine Room. She is Technical Safety BC's President and Lead Executive Officer. And that is it for the show this week, but we will be back on Monday. Till then, you can go to BIV.com. More stories, more interviews over there. For now, I'd just like to thank everyone for listening. I'm Tyler Orton.